0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning. As I was walking in the door, This door. Uh, I felt the heat of the room. And uh, I shivered a little bit. Somehow, uh, the heat of the room made more evident the cold of outside and in the cabin I was just sitting in. And um, I thought, isn't that the way um, that we hold something up? We're holding something together to um, protect ourselves, sustain ourselves. And uh, then when there's permission to exhale, to let something open, to let something be felt, rather than defended against, uh, we feel it. Here's a story I heard many years ago. Someone came to see me at city center. And his teacher was Colbin Chino Roshi, who since died. And uh, he said he was talking to Koben, And then he said, "Koben, I'm a heroin addict. And Koben said, Well, at least you're not a murderer. (laughs) And he said, then a funny thing happened. Um, Of course, he he was moved by Coben's generosity, his acceptance. He said, but a funny thing happened. He never used heroin again after that day. Now, I think we all wish that was the case for everybody. But I think um, even though it's not the case for everybody, it still has a teaching for us. What I'm trying to talk about is the teaching of radical honesty and how we, Persuade the self to engage in such a practice. You know, over the years, without quite intending, I noticed that I'm more inclined to tell something positive about what tell someone positive, something positive about what they're doing than to criticize something that maybe they should be doing differently or whatever. Quite literally, it's more effective. Of course, it's a lot of fun to tell someone something they're doing wrong. It proves you're superior, you're smarter. You can express your frustrations, uh, negativities. uh, You can have the power of noticing they feel bad. uh, You know all those wonderful things. But when you ask yourself, did that help? You know, was was that uh, supportive? Was that encouraging? You know. Something in them soften, and think, "Oh yeah. Let me open to what's going on in here. Let me open to taking, uh, becoming aware of what's how the world is being engaged, engaged." And of course, uh, if it was just external negativity that we had to cope with, uh, that would be um, difficult enough. But then something in us, by my experience, almost all of us internalizes the negative, and often in the service of our dedication to practice. Mm. Or maybe I'm just talking about myself. (laughs) That's always a possibility. For you that as something uh, to consider. You know. Once, um, about 10 years ago, I, I was here leading a practice period. And the tanto, did something. Uh, that I thought was quite wonderful. And I, I stopped him, and I said, can I tell you something? And I said, you know the way you did that? I thought it was c- kind of great. And he looked at me, and he said, but? <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> Just, there's a bud coming, right? <laughs> and I said, no, actually. <laughs> No. Feedback. Yeah. I've come to think feedback is terrific for the person who gets to give it. You know. But for the person who gets to receive it, I'm not so sure, you know? Sometimes it seems to me, uh, even when something, someone does something and you think, OK, well, that's not the form. Or, you know, it would be better if you did it that way. It would work better. Um, so what? They're in the midst of a learning process. You can say for sure what's most helpful to someone. You know. And then to internalize that consideration. What enables any one of us? to be radically honest. You know. Sometimes we think, well, the unvarnished truth has a kind of a cruel tinge to it. You're a selfish, lazy, arrogant person. Once, when I was a monk in Thailand, I spent a little time at Achan Feng's monastery. And by that time, Achan Feng was, like, the most popular teacher in Thailand. If you got a medallion from Achan Phuong, that was, like, that would protect you from any harm. And and so he would give it a short talk each morning, about 10 o'clock. And the people would all drive up from Bangkok. And then uh, we would sit. He'd say, OK, we're going to sit. And we'd sit for about five minutes. And then he'd congratulate them on their sitting. And then he'd say, does anyone want a medallion? And half the audience would rush up to the stage and get a medallion. And then later in the day, uh, in the evening, early evening, the uh, kind of the local lay people sitting group would come. And they'd sit. And then they'd sit for about an hour, and he'd say things like, you're going to die. Everything's impermanent. Give it everything you've got. And then the lay people's Sitting group would leave, and he'd turn his attention to the monks. And he would say, Are you just here for the food? You know, have you, like, you think that's practice? You have no idea what practice is asking of you. And I think, as monks, we thought, we must be special. The worst criticism comes to us. (laughs) Certainly, I did. I thought, oh, yeah. Encouragement comes in funny ways. Sometimes the heat teaches us about being cold. Sometimes admitting completely that you're stuck opens the path to freedom. Sometimes the criticism can seem like a cause to contract, pull away, Uh, maybe even um, internalize it and burden yourself with some notion of limitation. And hopefully, as we're searching for the way of practice, as we're searching for the way of working with the self, both our own and other people's, um, hopefully we can call forth a benevolence. Okay, what's most helpful right now? What prompted Kobancino Roshi to say, at least you're not a murderer? And the person who told me that story, he said, he was stunned, you know? Because the reason he blurted out, I'm a heroin addict, was he thought, I've been putting on a show. I'm trying to look good in this person's eyes, you know? And that's not what practice is about. Practice is not about. Fooling someone else into thinking you're something they can admire, yeah. and you said then when Coben responded the way he responded, he was stunned. It's like totally turned all that upside down. his confession of his own inadequacies, which he thought were a total game changer, um, opened the door of liberation. Maybe radical honesty is a risky business. We all need some hopefulness. We all need some um, something, some way of being that offers us encouragement. And when we put that together with radical honesty. It's a delicate matter. So all that, believe it or not, sprung from this sentence, the second sentence in the Fukansa Zengi. Actually, it sprung from Haka Komura's way of translating it. Here's how he translated it. He translated it as, the vehicle of reality is in the self. Why should we make effort to attain it? The vehicle of reality is in the self. Why should we make effort to attain it? Here's how we usually translate it. The Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. What need is there for concentrated effort? How many times have we said that, chanted it, read it? Untrammeled. We say that to ourselves all the time, don't we? <laughs> you feel non <non-trammel> today? <laughs> I sort of think of some studious Japanese person looking up the the kanji and then thinking, oh in English it's untrammeled. <laughs> Some of the other translations are, the supreme teaching is free. So why study the means to attain it? Another one, the real vehicle exists naturally. Why should we put forth great effort? the real vehicle, the Dharma vehicle, the vehicle of reality. You know, the big challenge for us is that in our sincerity, we sort of swallow something whole you know, the Dharma vehicle is free and untrammeled. But our practice is asking us to chew on it, to let it metabolize in our human life. To see that that's exactly, that's speaking exactly to what's happening inside us. That's speaking exactly what's happening between us. Yeah. That that's nothing other than coming in from the cold into the heat and noticing as the body instinctively relaxes it feels it residual cold yeah for mammals we we have a comfort zone for our our body heat We're thinking creatures. We construct a version of reality. We're emotional creatures. We're disgusted. We're encouraged. We're frightened. We're amused. We're immersed in subjective being on a sensate level, on a cognitive level, on an emotional level, on a psychological level, on an interpersonal level. And as it swirls around within us, um, our diligence, our deep dedication, is exploring how to open the door, the Dharma gate of liberation. It's not because we're bad people. It's not because uh, we're broken and we need to be fixed. It's a more delicate process. And when we chew on these marvelous teachings, when we let it enter into us, it's request about practice. These teachings have not been uttered to confuse us. They haven't been written by someone who's saying, well, I'm really smart. Here's my wonderful teaching. They're saying, "Um, I hope this can help. I hope my way of writing it um, can spark something, can help you relate to the human condition. Can help you see where you contract. You know, when we pay close attention, we can see that even our thinking, our formulating, our reifying, our concepts of existence, even that can have a kind of contraction. And interestingly, the unpleasant is more likely to do that than the pleasant, to watch the mind. Not as a scolding teacher, but as a benevolent good friend. and, and the, the great sea of emotions. Yeah. We start to form our emotions. You know, maybe we start to form them in the womb. You know? Mother is feeding them through us, through the umbilical cord. Or maybe we take those as suggestions, and when we're about six or eight months old and starting to formulate our own version of reality. And we layer and layer and layer. And, uh, and then someday, amazingly, we end up in a Zen monastery. I mean, who'd have thought it? (laughs) Yeah, see that kid in the playground? He's going to go to a Zen monastery. (laughs) I couldn't tell by the way he swings. (laughs) Radical honesty isn't the avenging angel. It isn't the wrath of God come down to punish you. Radical honesty is the moment of pause and opening and allowing what is to express itself. And I'd offer you the notion, it's a delicate process. And then I'd like to bore you a little bit with being present for the inhale. That when there can be a deliberate pause, that when the body can soften, become receptive when the mind can soften and be attentive when the emotions can soften and the sensate the sensations of the inhale just that can teach us so much about practice. And not only that, it's free. And so far, there's plenty of our. So it's not a competition. the moment when the human organism softens and opens. Now, it would be wonderful if that always cascaded in a virtuous way, that we gave up our addictions that we were flooded with gratitude, generosity, and compassion. Uh, But sometimes, when we're exposed to the warmth, we shiver with residual cold. Sometimes, the reverse happens. It's as if something within us is saying, well, now I've finally got your attention. I want you to listen while I complain, you know? I'm not happy with this. I'm still suffering from that. Yeah. There's no telling what arises in our being in that moment of opening. And radical honesty is saying, whatever it is that arises, that's what has arisen. That's the next moment of subjective self. Whether you're feeling triumphant or defeated, whether you're feeling you love the whole world, or whether you're feeling um, a deep bitterness for some aspect of life. So be it. And that's the other great teaching for us. So be it. If we think we're crafting a practice that just makes turns everything into sweetness and delight, um, we're caught up in a naive day, then if you don't get sweetness and delight, you must be doing something wrong. The karma of a lifetime is the karma of a lifetime. And how it will manifest itself in response to any opening As Dogen Zenji says, it's not merely carried over from the past, and it's not merely arising now. It's a combination. And part of our challenge is when it's not what we wanted, when it's not what we expected, when it's not what we approve of, Um, can we be present for it anyway? In those moments, in the midst of your virtuous practice, for some unknown reason, your mind grasps the sharp thorns of some bitterness. um, That's what's happened. Radical honesty says, before you get busy fixing it, what is it? What's happening? What version of reality is arising? What kaya, what world system? Because that particular moment has its own contextual setting. The question. Why should we make effort to attain it? It's interesting. The scholars vary on this a little bit. But the notion is that Dogen, uh, this is a tempuku version of Fukan Zengi. And he wrote somewhere between 6 and 12 years earlier, he wrote this version. The vehicle of reality, this is is, uh, Shohaku's translations. The vehicle of reality is in the self. And then the first version he wrote was, why should we waste our efforts trying to attain it? And then later, he went back and he added his own writing and he changed, why should we waste our efforts to say, why should we make efforts? Isn't that an interesting change? Why should we waste our efforts? Why should we make our efforts? What's he trying to teach us there? Waste effort, make effort. What is he pointing at that he's saying, and please consider. in in your search for the right effort, that we're not uh, getting it right or getting it wrong. That there is an effort required, but it's not fixing something. It's not imposing something. It's not demanding something. Can we become deeply curious about, oh, look at this. Look at this powerful wind that has rushed into My quiet mind. Look at this. Even as we're walking in the morning sunshine in this beautiful valley, my mind is busy replaying an old tape What is it to open the door of liberation in that moment? What kind of expression of radical honesty? What kind of expression of effort? Each of us is challenged to look at this process that's going on inside of us, and discover what opens the door of liberation. What does that phrase even mean? Does it mean on a sensory level, what is it that the body softens and receives the inhale? Does it mean that in the way the mind contracts in its conceptualizing, that that softens? Does it mean that, yes, those emotions have a deep story to tell about my experience of being alive, but they're not the whole story? Can the world be forgiven? Can the self be forgiven for feeling what it feels? This is our inquiry. So when I say immersion in a subjective reality, that's what I'm trying to talk about. I'd offer you this cognitive um, framing, that when something arises, oh, that person. Oh, this is the version of that person I'm creating right now, that blue jay. This is the version of Blue Jay that I'm creating right now. And in a moment, I will create something else. Maybe it will be more influenced by past karma, past conditioning. Maybe it will seem to arise strongly in relationship to what arises in the moment, that what are entered through to the senses in that moment. Um, Own it. Own everything. The subjective influence is very powerful. Yeah. When we own it, and especially when we're in the throes of discovering, you know, opening, then each. Currents, subjective as it is, can be a finger pointing at the moon of opening. Oh, this. Each experience can be Shakyamuni holding up a flower. He wasn't saying, this is the only flower that expresses the suchness of what is. And I would suggest to you that it helps us to start with the subjective. It helps us to reflect on what kind of attitude do I deflect it into my considerations of others. Well, I'd be fully enlightened except for that person who sits beside me and moves during the interval. If I didn't do that, I think I would have attained Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi. (laughs) In fact, I'm almost certain I would have. What an amazing thing to have a human mind, Uh, to own our own subjectivity. That thought makes me think of a great witticism of Oscar Wilde. When asked at customs, did he have anything to declare? And he said, only my genius. (laughs) 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 I think we're all kind of genius when it comes to conjuring up reality. And yet, uh, it's no fun being a heroin addict. It's not a glamorous, uh, admirable situation. It's not a life decision that we should all aspire to. the ways in which we cling, the ways in which we contract, the ways in which we agitate and distress ourselves and each other. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, please consider, rather than letting that be your contemplation, the endlessness of suffering, please consider the possibility of liberation, the efficacy of benevolence towards yourself and towards others. And while you're at it, be present for the inhale. Since the time of Shakyamuni, and probably before Shakyamuni, awareness of breath has been considered a very effective and potent practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfzc.org and click Giving.